All right, everybody. Man, it wouldn't be the first Sunday of a month off of preaching if you didn't have some stuff go wrong. Amen? At any rate, it is really good for me to be back with you. I, I, have, I have missed being able to bring the word on Sundays. And man, you guys, you guys look sweaty, but you look beautiful. And I'm excited to see you. And you know what? I just gotta, I just gotta, before we really get in, I really gotta like take a second to say it is so good to be a part of a team that you can take a month off of preaching and we got people that are willing to step in and step up without missing a beat. Can we? Yeah. Amen. Man, the way God ministered through them this month, man, you'd never even know that I was gone. And I appreciate that about all of you guys who stepped up. Love you guys. Uh, this morning, I want to introduce a brand, new, a brand new series. This series, as you can see on the screen, is called Devoted. We're coming out of a series that started on Pentecost Sunday surrounding the Holy Spirit. For the last six weeks, we've been talking about the Holy Spirit, and it's been, it's been really good. Amen? I've been blessed by the time. Similarly with the believers who were coming at this point out of Pentecost, Pentecost is the feast, it was the dinner where, where the Holy Spirit descended. Coming out of Pentecost then, they, the believers had some, some changes in their life rhythm. Similar to us, what I would hope is that after concentrating and focusing and really, really allowing God to speak to us about his spirit for the last six weeks, my hope is that we would have some life rhythms that are beginning to adjust. Amen? And of course, at this point, hearing about the power of the Spirit, hearing about the authority that comes to us through it, hearing about the, the, the amazing things that are now made accessible through the Spirit, I would hope that at this point you would be asking yourself the question, what does it really mean to be devoted to this life? What does it mean? I want to feel the Spirit in my daily. I want to be as close like, man, I want, I want to feel Bible verses like I feel Kanye verses. I want, I want, I want to be able to, 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 to recite things the way I can recite whatever trash song is on the radio. Amen. I want to be able to witness to those around me. And I want them, my neighbors, my family, my people, I want them to feel what it is that I feel. What does it mean? And what we see from the believers now that the Spirit is living inside of them is found in Acts 2, 42. And this is going to be our passage for the next four weeks. Four weeks on one verse? Yeah, we're about to get it. Four weeks on one verse. verse uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It'll be up on the screen momentarily. It says this. All of the believers then devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. They devoted themselves to these things. And we are going to, to go for the next four weeks on each of these things that were now regularly occurring life rhythms that the believers then incorporated into their lives to stay devoted to the spread of the gospel. The one that I want to focus on this week is that third one. It's my favorite one. It's the one that says sharing in meals. Now, I'm well aware what time it is, yes. 
right? I'm well aware what time it is. I know lunch is right after this. So as you feel inevitably, because we're talking about food this morning, as you feel inevitably, your stomachs begin to rumble and the, and the feeling of heat exhaustion fades and you give it over to hunger. I want to place this thought in your head this morning that we're all fasting together right now. We're all going to rely on the Spirit together right now. And we're going to get this word. And then together, whether physically in person or in spirit, we're going to break fast together. Later. (laughs) Sharing in meals, breaking in bread is my favorite part of this devotion. They're, They're a very important life rhythm to me. It's an important life rhythm to me. I, I personally love quality time. Yes. That's my, if you know anything about like the love language, that's mine. Quality time is mine, particularly and especially over some food. I'm just letting you know. I love spending time with you. If we're spending time together, that's me showing love. But if we're spending time together and we're eating, man, ain't nothing wrong with us. I'm just letting you know. If you have been to my house, you have, I almost guarantee, I'm seeing you all smiling right now because you know what I'm about to say. If you've been to my house, I almost guarantee you were there to eat. I can almost guarantee it. That's the way I vacation. My vacations, listen, bump the beach. Don't care nothing about no sand, no water. I'm going to tell you right now, vacation is about what, when, and where we're going to eat. I'm just letting you know. Listen, you can plan the in-between times. You can plan the afternoon activities. I'm planning the food. I'm about where we're going to go eat. And don't you plan no activities that's going to get in the way of my dinner. Just letting you know. It's the way I vacation. (laughs) A couple weeks ago, Rachel and I had the opportunity to be in L.A. for a week. It was kind of a vacation. Not really. Rachel was in class. I was eating. Right? Rachel's in grad school. And so she she had class to be at Monday through Friday. I had, I had restaurants to be at. You feel me? Every person that I know out there that I went and visited, guess what? When I saw them, I said, all right, where do I need to eat right now? Like, you tell me, what's the spot to eat? It's my favorite thing to do. Go to a spot I've never been before. Have somebody who's from there tell me where I'm supposed to eat. What am I supposed to eat right now? When I was by myself, I found out that Pasadena... Allegedly, they say, is the birthplace of the cheeseburger. Now, here's the thing. I've done heard that about four or five cities. But because I was in Pasadena, we'll give it to Pasadena. So I decided if it's the birthplace of the cheeseburgers, cheeseburgers out here must be hidden. So I'm going to try as many of these cheeseburgers as I can. I tweeted about three of them before I got the meat sweats and had to stop so I could keep eating. Just letting you know, it's real life. But what I loved is when I would go in these places, these little local spots by myself, 
And I would sit down at whatever counter or whatever they had in their restaurant and I would order. I would love the fact that people would like rally around the fact that I'd never been there before, that I was a visitor. One person's like, where are you from? I was like, I'm from Ohio. She's like, oh, I heard they have the best weather. I was like, oh, the devil done got a hold of you, girl. We got it. We got it. I'm going to pray for you in a minute, but I got to order this burger first. I love the fact that people were rallying around like for the first time that I, that, that I was there, man, everybody became your best friend. Yeah. All of a sudden, we're sharing this meal together, and now we're all friends. Uh-huh. Food and sharing meals are a big deal in our culture. Yeah. They are. If you look at the life of Jesus, you're going to see sharing meals in Jesus' regular life rhythm. You're going to see incredible instances, like when he eats with this, with this little angry dude named Zacchaeus. Over a shared meal, salvation comes to that house. You're going you're gonna to read about this dude named Levi, about these women named Mary and Martha. You're going to read about Jesus realizing that he's getting long-winded. He's like, we got to feed some folks. And he feeds about 5,000 of them. You're going to read that when Jesus knew his time was coming, it says in John chapter, ooh, it's like 13 or 14. It's somewhere in there. Don't quote me, but it's in there, I promise. You're going to read that when Jesus knew his time was coming, He gets his boys around a table to eat. If you read the Bible all the way to the end in the book of Revelation, which tells about uh, about the end times, the book even ends with, guess what? A feast. Food. There's food in the end. Amen. The story I want to read this morning may be one of the most important stories involving food in the New Testament. To kick our time off this morning, I would like for you all to turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts. We're going to be in the 10th chapter, just a little bit past Pentecost. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to warn you, we're going to read this whole chapter. We got some ground to cover today, but it's a good one. And it's a story, so you can pay attention. Here we go. Follow along with me. This is Acts chapter 10. If you don't have your Bibles with you and you're not confident that you can uh, fight off the temptation of the devil to stay off of Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, any of those things, go ahead and peek up here at the screen. Follow along with me. Here we go. In Caesarea, there lived a Roman army officer named Cornelius, who was a captain of the Italian cohort. He was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his house. He gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. One afternoon, about three o'clock, he had a vision in which he saw an angel of God coming toward him. Cornelius, the angel said. Cornelius stared at him in terror. What is it, sir? He asked the angel. The angel replied, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have been received by God as an offering. Now send some men to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He is staying with Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. As soon as the angel was gone, Cornelius called two of his household servants, a devout soldier, one of his personal attendants. He told them what had happened and sent them off to Joppa. Verse 9, the next day, switch scenes as Cornelius' messengers were nearing the town, Peter went up on the flat roof to pray. It was about noon, and he was hungry. But while a meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. 
He saw the sky open and something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners. In the sheet were all sorts of animals, reptiles, and birds. And then a voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat them. No, Lord, Peter declared. I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice spoke again. Don't call something unclean if God has made it clean. The same vision, it was repeated three times. And then the sheet was suddenly pulled up to heaven and Peter was very perplexed as to what this could possibly mean. Just then the men sent by Cornelius found Simon's house standing outside the gate. They asked if a man named Simon Peter was staying there. Meanwhile, as Peter was puzzled over the vision, the Holy Spirit said to him, yo, three men have come looking for you. Get up, go downstairs and go with them without hesitation. Don't worry, they're with me. So Peter went down and said, I'm the man you're looking for. Why have you come? And they said, we were sent by Cornelius, a Roman officer. He's a devout and God-fearing man, well-respected by all the Jews. A holy angel instructed him to summon you to his house so that we can hear your message. So Peter invited the men to stay for the night. And the next day he went with them, accompanied by some of the brothers from Joppa. Here we go. Scene one. We got Caesarea. We got this dude named Cornelius. Cornelius. Cornelius is a Roman officer. He is what would be considered a Gentile. A Gentile is just another term for an outsider. Who's determining this? The Jews. He is an outsider to their culture. He is not like them. He does not live near them. He does not adhere to the same things as them. But it does say that Cornelius is a God-fearer. He's a God-fearer, which to Jews, even Jesus-believing Jews, would still be considered a pagan because he hadn't fully converted to their rituals. So even though they both believe in Jesus, Jews would look at this God-fearing Gentile and be like, pagan. That's pagan because we don't eat the same. We don't do the same. We don't live the same. So that's pagan. But no matter, an angel comes to Cornelius and lets him know that, hey, all this stuff that you've been doing, all these things that you've been recognizing, bless you, all these things that's been going on that, that, that you've so generously given out of your heart, the Lord recognizes those things. The Lord sees you out here striving now I need you to go get this dude named Peter. So go get Peter. He sends some people to go get Peter. Then we've got scene two. We've got our boy, Peter. Peter is an apostle. He is a Jew. He is a Jesus believer because he was one who personally, physically walked with Jesus. Jesus, sorry, Peter is up on the roof praying. Yeah. It's about noontime. And his stomach, like many of us in here right now, relying on the Holy Spirit, starts to rumble. His stomach gets to rumbling. He's like, dang, I'm hungry. So he calls out, hey, what we got going on? Oh, we got you. All right, bet. I'm going to keep praying. Let me know when it's done. Okay. That's how I imagine it. Taking some liberties this morning. So Peter is hungry, waiting for his food to be done. He's praying. Now, of course, you might say, naturally, as he's hungry, he has a vision, wait for it, about food. Uh -huh. 
hey, the Lord comes to you as you are, amen? So he's got this vision about food. What he sees is this giant sheet coming down filled with all of these animals. But the problem is some of these animals are not considered by his culture okay to eat. But then God gives him a command. God says, yo, eat it. Peter is like, nah. Which if you think about, is like the most Peter thing you could possibly say. Let me give you just a few instances. Nah, Jesus, you're not going to get arrested, killed, beaten, and put in the ground. We would never let that happen to you. Jesus replies, get behind me, Satan. Peter says, Jesus, you will never get on your knees and wash my nasty, no good, dirty, stinking feet. Jesus says, Peter, if I don't do this, you ain't going with me where I'm going next. Peter says, Jesus, I would never in a million years ever, 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 ever deny you. Not never, not never. Matter of fact, Jesus says you're going to do it about three times in the next 24 hours. The most Peter thing of all time to say. Jesus says, yo, eat this food. Peter's like, yeah, not all of it. Some of that is unclean. See, I believe what God is trying to communicate to Peter because he seems to be puzzled by this is that God is removing any barriers or fears that Peter would have from going into a Gentile home. Shortly after Peter sees this vision, a few times, as a matter of fact, it's no coincidence that some men come looking for him to take him to Gentile territory. The dudes from scene one arrive at his doorstep. And so what we have here is God going to a Gentile house and saying, I see you. I appreciate you. There's something I have for you. Then coming over here to the guy he knows who's got it and saying, I got to do some work on you. I've got to get some things out the way. I got to remove some barriers so that I can get you over here to give them what they need to hear. Come on now. Oh, Peter, those reasons that you have for not going to Gentile land or eating with Gentiles or going into a Gentile house, yeah, my brother, they are gone. Then through a group of messengers, God arranges for these two sides to meet up. How many of you in here know that God is doing something on this earth to bring people together? How many of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that what God is doing on this earth through his spirit and in this world, he is doing something to bring people together. I used to take a bunch of trips all the time to foreign countries and I'd take people with me who had never been anywhere else. Number one question I get, what do you think it is? What are we going to eat? But God is saying here that food is no longer a good enough reason not to go somewhere. Food is no longer a good enough reason. God is doing something on this earth in an effort to not let that or anything else be barriers any longer. And I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know it might not seem like that's true. Even in the church, we got all these denominations. I can't even name them all. Can't even tell you what the differences are, but we've got them. We sure as heck got these divisions. If you ain't noticed yet, You ain't been alive. You must have been born yesterday. We got these two polarizing political parties. 
I'm not even going to mention the fact that we've got these separate schools and we've got these different policies and benefits for different types of people. And all of this make it incredibly hard to believe that God is doing something. But folks, I need at least one person in here to believe with me this morning that God is doing something to bring us together. And we got some ground to cover this morning. We got to keep going. Here we go. Verse 24. Story goes on. So they arrive in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and his close friends. As Peter enters the home, Cornelius fell at his feet and he worshiped him. But Peter pulled him up and said, stand up, man. I'm a human being just like you. So they talked together and they went inside where many others had assembled. Peter told them, you know... It's against our laws for a Jewish man to enter a Gentile home like this or to even associate with you. But watch this. But God has shown me that I should no longer think of anyone as impure or unclean. So I came without objection as soon as I was sent for. Now tell me why you sent for me. Cornelius replied four days ago, I was praying in my house about this time, three o'clock in the afternoon. Suddenly, a man in dazzling clothes was standing in front of me and he told me, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your gifts to the poor have been noticed by God. Now send messengers to Joppa, summon a man named Peter. He's staying in the home of Simon, a tanner who lives near the seashore. So I sent for you at once and it was good of you to come. Now we're here waiting before God to hear what message it is that you have. So this group goes all the way back to Caesarea, 31-ish miles. And Cornelius has gotten people together because here's what Cornelius knows. Whatever that man is coming back with must be good because God said it. So let me go get some people. Let me go fill my table. Let me make sure that I'm not the only one that hears this. I got to get all my relatives. I got to get all my neighbors. I want all my people to hear this because whatever it is, God said it's really good. So I need everyone to come in here. And Peter gets there. And he tells Cornelius very first thing, look, man, get up off your knees. We're equals. I actually didn't believe that 12 hours ago, but God recently revealed to me that it's not good for me to think of things or people for that matter as unclean. It's not good of me to look at people as impure just because they don't adhere to the same cultural norms that I do. It's not good of me to do those things. See, my man, we've got all these differences between us. We got all this history. We got all these different practices, all these different cultural things. I mean, the Bible, Jews and Gentiles, we got all this stuff that separates us. But I realize now that those things that God made were not meant to be kept apart. I found this new application of this vision. I realize now that those things aren't meant to be kept apart if it's, if it's true. If it is true that, that God doesn't want me to worry about different types of food as being unclean or even as barriers to me entering someone's home, then it must be true that God doesn't want me to consider people who live differently, eat differently, look differently, adhere differently as lesser or pagan or savages or heathens. That must be true. It must be true that when God is the bonding agent, no matter what you look like or how you live, we are truly supposed to be united. It must be true. 
Now here's what I love. This part real quick is for free. I love that the meeting place was in Cornelius' house. I love that Peter had to get up over some stuff and go to somebody he wasn't comfortable with's house. What I love is that God didn't say, yo, there's a synagogue right in between your guys' neighborhoods, neutral territory. Why don't you guys go to the synagogue and talk together there? He said, nah, Peter, you got some stuff to get over, my friend. You got to get over there. You're going to meet where they eat. That's for free. They're in a home that's ready to receive and share the good news. If we believe that God is bringing us together, if, God, if we believe that God is doing something on this earth to bring people from different backgrounds together, then let me ask you a question. Why don't our dinner tables look like it? Well, well, well. Not for real, though. Why don't our dinner tables look like it? How come you go and have lunch with the same people every day? No, I'm coming for you today. I've been off for a month. How come? How come? You sit with the same people in the cafeteria every single day, every single meal. How come? You go to the same dinner rituals every single day because you're just too tired after a long day of work to do something different. Why do we prefer to find comfort in homogeny rather than challenge as we push towards unity and diversity? What's preventing you? What's preventing you from breaking bread with those who are not like you? Hallelujah. For Peter, it was pretty clear. It was food choices. If you read a little bit more about Peter, it was probably some political differences, probably some other stuff that he grew up in. You know what I'm saying? But what is it for you? What is it for you? If you just thought to yourself just now, oh, I already do that. Let me break something to you. You just got too comfortable. Time to go to a new level. If you're comfortable where you're at, it's not good enough. What is keeping you from reaching across the aisle? What is keeping you from inviting others to your table? Let me put it this way. I grew up a certain way. I grew up in a certain kind of culture around certain kinds of people. The type of people I grew up around, the type of people that I was, the type of people that I hung out with, we were meat and potatoes kind of people. Okay. Yeah, we're going to talk about food real quick again. I told you it was a lot. We were meat and potatoes type of people. Could be different kinds of meat. Could be different styles of potatoes. But every meeting, every meal, it was meat and it was potatoes. And then this catastrophic, life-altering thing happened to me. I mean, yeah, I found Jesus, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when I went to college and I was so broke, it didn't matter. As long as it was dead and cooked, I'd eat it. That's what I'm talking about. And all of a sudden, I started making friends. Friends based on who I thought looked like they cooked. Friends who I thought looked like they lived with their mom still. Maybe their moms cook. And let me tell you what I found. It was, it was Rachel's family where I realized that Italian food was more than just pizza or a chicken strip dipped in marinara. It was Candace's family that gave me fried chicken that was so good I got offended at every way it had ever been presented to me before that. I've never eaten as many or as good a tacos as when Eddie's mom pulls up into town. It don't matter what day it is when Eddie's mom is here. It's Taco Tuesday, you feel me? 
Don't let me forget to mention Deshaun's Mendazis or Kenyan tea or the jambalaya that comes out of Rita's kitchen that makes you forget what you were about to say. Yeah. I found these things. But what's interesting to me is that we love, we love, 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 we love this variety when it comes to the food on the table. So why? Why don't we take the same approach to the company that's in the chairs? We love to make excuses too. Oh, my schedule. My schedule, my schedule, my schedule. Everyone's busy, Doc. You make time for the things you value. Everyone's busy. Don't tell me one more time about how busy you are. Oh, I, I, don't know about, I don't know about that neighborhood over there. Or I don't know if they'd feel comfortable in my house. Please don't, please, I don't have time to get to that today. Well, we're nothing alike. How do I avoid saying something dumb or being offensive? And, 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 and what type of food should I prepare? And, and there's so much between us. What would I even say? What, what, what would we talk about? And look what Peter did. Look what Peter did cross-culturally, I might add, to an audience he didn't know, who were all watching him and waiting so intently on some incredible thing that was apparently supposed to come out of his mouth, like right there on the spot. Look what Peter did. Verse 34, Peter replies, I see very clearly that God shows no favoritism. That's new for Peter. He says, I see it clearly now. God shows no favoritism. In every nation, he accepts those who fear him and do what is right. This is the message of good news for the people of Israel, that there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what happened throughout Judea, beginning in Galilee, after John began preaching his message of baptism. And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing all this good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And we apostles, we saw it firsthand. We're witnesses of all he did throughout Judea and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him to life on the third day. Then God allowed him to appear, not to the general public, but to us whom God had chosen in advance to be his witnesses. We were those who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he ordered us, ordered us to preach everywhere and to testify that Jesus is the one appointed by God to be the judge of all, all the living and all the dead. He is the one all the prophets testified about, saying that everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. What Peter shares, plain and simple and straightforward, is the gospel. He says, guys, God has no favorites. I know that's what you've heard from my people for a long time. What Peter is doing in this moment is repenting this, of the sins of his ancestry. And he says, I know you've heard this message from my people for a long time. I need you to know God don't have no favorites. He says that in Jesus, God has fulfilled all the promises of the Old Testament. He says in Jesus, he has been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He says in Jesus, power and healing were so evident and made accessible now through the Spirit. He says that Jesus died. He says that Jesus got up. He says that I'm a witness. And he says the expectation of knowing this truth is that I got to tell somebody. It's the gospel, plain, simple, and straightforward. Because the gospel, I need you to catch this, but I can't harp on it anymore. The gospel is enough. The gospel is enough. 
You can say it in ways that are relevant to your audience. That's fine, but we don't need any tricks and we dang sure don't need coerced. The gospel is enough. Deliver the message when you go and you eat with people. Deliver the message that God has placed on your heart. And look what happens. This is the last thing. This is the end. Look what happens when the message is delivered in verse 44. Even as Peter was saying these things, my man hadn't even finished his statement yet. The Holy Spirit fell on all who were listening to the message. The Jewish believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles too. It's for them too. For they heard them speaking in other tongues. They heard them praising God. And then Peter asked, and this is, woo, man, this would make some people upset. This is offensive, but it's beautiful. He says, can anyone object to their being baptized right now? That we, that they have received the Holy Spirit just like we did? So he gave orders to have them baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And afterward, Cornelius is like, please don't go, man. Stay here as long as you can. The Gentiles, when given the opportunity to hear and receive the message, did so. God sealed their salvation with the Holy Spirit. And you got you to gotta understand that Peter and his other Jewish friends, they're having a moment. Because what they had just seen eight chapters ago was the Spirit fall on all of the believers that were gathered around a table. All the people who knew the truth and were on the inside. Yeah. We're all at the same table. We all hang out with each other. And the spirit fell on us because we were all witnesses. But what he's experiencing now is it ain't all that exclusive. What he's experiencing now is that when you give other people, even outsiders, even Gentiles, even whatever culture you whisper, even them, when you give them the opportunity to hear and receive the Holy Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit fills. Power and healing is given to them too. Authority is given to them too. It's possible for all people to receive the gospel when we, the witnesses, are willing to dine with others. You got to ask yourself this morning, what's more important to you? What's more important to you? Holding on to these opinions and preferences that separate you from particular people or bringing family into the family or bringing people into the family of Jesus Christ. Guys, we were made so much more. We were made for so much more than these little niches and these little boxes that we put ourselves in. God's plan for his kingdom includes so much more than what we even have eyes or understanding for. It includes so much more. God's plan for his kingdom is so much bigger. And when we pay attention to being spirit-led and we stop paying attention to the obvious signs that the world says, the obvious reason that the world gives us not to go be with the person, when we stop paying attention to that and start paying attention to being being spirit-led, what we've just learned today is that the result is unimaginably powerful. You can't even believe what's gonna happen at your dinner table or theirs. 
Guys, as a church, we want to be the church that breaks out of these boxes that churches have long put themselves in. We want to be a church that seeks kingdom unity, kingdom renewal, kingdom restoration in ways that the church in America hasn't seemed to be able to accomplish. But to do that in the most informed way we can, we need a whole lot of people and a whole lot of backgrounds leaning in to what the Spirit is telling us to do. Someone once told me, your church will only be as diverse as your dinner table. And that leads me to our closing challenge this week. Here's what I need you to know. When you receive the gospel, you have been given something to do and you've been given something to say. And our obedience leads to God's people of all different backgrounds being brought together. That's what God is up to. And it's more than past time for us to lay down our excuses for division. We must now instead that the, that the gospel is enough for unity to stand on. The gospel is enough for unity to stand on. It's not athletics. It's not politics. That's even laughable. The gospel is all that is enough for unity to stand on and we must trust the leading of the Holy Spirit to continue this dream. Here's your challenge and then I'm done. I want you to eat with someone this week who's not like you. I want you to go to a situation or have a meal with somebody that you might be uncomfortable having a meal with. I want you to look for somebody who's different than you ethnically, economically, politically, spiritually, whatever. I don't care what the difference is. I want you to find them and I want you to eat with them. I want you to ask God, be on purpose about it. Be intentional about it. I want you to ask God who it is that he wants you to go eat with and then sit back and be ready for the answer to be literally anything. Hallelujah. Be ready for the answer to be like anybody but that person. Be ready for it to be that person. Amen. And then I want you to ask in obedience to the Holy Spirit, to show why it is that you're being brought together. Share a meal this week with somebody. Somebody that you don't know. Somebody that you're different than. Because God's doing a thing. He's doing a thing. A new thing. A new thing that our world doesn't see. A new thing that our country doesn't think is possible. He's doing a thing that pulls people together.